Welcome to the Born and Raised Audio Experience. Presented by Onyx. Welcome, everybody. Thank you guys so much for coming. Uh, thank you for, if you've stopped by the booth earlier, thank you guys so much for that as well. So, up to my lips. I'm apologizing. So, who's writing for September right now? I think it's all hands on deck. I like it. It was fun to see everyone coming out to the show and talking hunting again. Uh, it's been a little bit of a lull. It's fun to kind of start thinking about uh, what we're going to be putting in for and uh, start setting some goals again. Should we get this thing underway? I think so. So um, this is blue collar elk hunting. Play on words right there. Um, we're excited to be here, guys, and I appreciate you guys for coming out. Uh, the biggest thing that we want out of this is for you guys to learn from our mistakes, right? We, we show that in our content. Um, so if there's any questions during the thing, just raise your hand, and uh, we'll try to get those answered, um, hopefully, like I said, from our mistakes, right? What Cody's trying to say is we are super informal. So if you guys have any questions along the way, just throw a hand up. <laughs> How many of you guys have elk hunted before? And ladies, how many of you are still not successful yet? Okay. I'm not trying to like... like that's going to change I, after tonight. Well, yeah, that's what we're here is to try to learn from our mistakes and uh, see if we can plug that in to help you guys. Do you try have, to move the slide you know, here for it. Can we uh, bump up one there on the first slide? We got it. Official issue here. This is actually the first time that we've all been together in quite a while, honestly. So we're probably going to goof off probably more than we actually do the seminar. But. <laughs> the, the biggest thing we kind of talk about, like for our style of hunting is calling. Um, calling is key for us and our success. There's lots of ways to kill an elk, and I think that's awesome. If you want to sit on a tree stand and kill one and you're, you do it every year, that's awesome. We want to call a bull. We want to get a bull screaming and have that excitement and adrenaline coming in. And we kind of narrowed it down to like three tools of what we feel is keys to our success. First off, diaphragm call. Who here has the gag reflex when they stick a diaphragm call in their mouth? Very little. Who here is still trying to learn how to make the right sound with a diaphragm call? <laughs> and to be honest, <clears throat> Trent's being awesome. We still I found have honesty sometimes. is the best way <laughs> to live my life. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so, so one thing, uh, there's a lot of different calls out there. It's trying to find the one. And it's, it's not going to be mouse. It, it, basically, the difference is going to be mouse shape. It's going to dictate... Uh, latex thickness and stretch. So there's a lot of different variants out there. Go try them all. Try different brands. Try thin reads, double reads, thick reads, whatever it is. And when you find the one, buy a dozen of them because you never know when you're going to get them again. You're going to lose some. Um, we all different have different preferences, different thoughts on it all. I want to say one thing about a diaphragm call. We're not necessarily going to jump into 
how to use a diaphragm call, but when it comes to selecting one, you want one that fits your mouth and your palate properly. If it's not seated against the roof of your mouth where it's sealed up, it doesn't fit properly. So myself, I actually trim mine a little bit. I've got a real narrow um, diaphragm, or not diaphragm, but palate. So I trim the diaphragm to where it fits nice and snug. So that's something to think of when you're picking a call. And that being said, we're not going to go through the exact mechanics of how to make the sound, but there are a, a couple of things that people do, I think, that the... Uh, I don't know if it would be called a mistake, but like you try to push, push too much pressure with your tongue against the, the latex to make that sound. And it's almost backwards, but you want to let off and use very little pressure against the latex to get that sound. And uh, otherwise, they can cut out pretty easily. That's good. Smoker. Wow. Um, I, I also... <laughs> I also think there's a big misconception as far as diaphragm calls, too, because a lot of people will just throw one in their mouth and either gag on it or cannot even hardly make a squeak out of it and be like, yeah, I've seen a lot of people use these, but I just can't use them. That's a common phrase that we hear from a lot of people, and I, I was the same way, honestly. It took... It's just like shooting a bow. It's just like anything else that you do. It takes a ton of practice, hours and hours of practice. Um, some people can just throw it right in their mouth and just make sounds out of it right off the bat but um anyway i was not that guy so it takes me a lot more practice than most and the best time is like in the car on the way to work with no one around you know we always hear the wife wants a divorce and stuff like that so i mean try oh. to keep those to your own your private time yeah and and i think the one thing and trevor was uh, instructing a guy how to blow a call and he used the analogy you can blow like you're blowing on a candle on a cake and you have a lot of a lot of volume but not a lot of pressure from it and the name it's called the diaphragm call it's coming from your diaphragm so you're more of like fogging your glasses is how so i think a lot of people try to push so much air but it's really about the pressure coming from your diaphragm to get that sound out another trick that i use that really helps me get the right sound is my facial expression um instead of Pursing, instead of pursing your lips to make the call, I actually kind of do a cheesy smile like this. It opens things up internally inside your mouth, and you can actually make the sound way easier. So it's kind of counterintuitive. Um, so instead of... A lot of I see a lot of people pursing their lips like that. Open your lips up. You can get it louder, and it's easier to do. So, Next up is bugle tube. I think for us, uh, the tool of a bugle tube is going to be able to cast your, the sound and uh, use that for the location side of it. So we like loud. We like realistic are the two, two things we're going to look for in a bugle tube. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I want to sound like a rag bull. I don't want to scare off another rag bull. We've had more success calling in with a lip ball screaming bugle for a little rag bull to come in just because he's coming to see, investigate what that curiosity of that herd, what's going on. Um, so don't be afraid to sound too big. Be Yeah, I hear it quite a bit when people are, are talking about bugling as far as trying to scare bulls off. I can guarantee you right now, you're never going to sound as loud as a bull. <laughs> It's just not going to happen. So don't worry about putting too much volume through it. There's just times you want to back off and be quiet. You can, but um, 
yeah, we're just we're just not the size of a bull elk, so we're not going to replicate their sound and actually bring it to their level. Um, and specifically, the bugle tube. Um, not all bugle tubes are created equal. This one has a flange to it. It's pretty wide, actually. Um, I actually take my tube and I trim it down. I take my pocket knife out and I trim mine down about a quarter inch to make it narrower. Different people like different openings here. Um, and so maybe if you're having a hard time doing the lip ball or something like that, for example, um, we still do little tricks here and there to get the right sounds that we like for each of us. So you can always mess with this little opening here to help you um, get louder and do the lip ball, those sort of things. So, You guys down for a demo of a few sounds on the bugle of what we're, what we're actually talking about when we talk about a locate? Okay. Which one? Locate bugle. You want to rip one? Sure. Yeah. So this is one, and we'll talk a little bit later on. We used to always say we're searching for that, searching for the high note. And as we've hunted and ex gained some experience, it's not so much about the high note, but how that note carries. So we, we've kind of in the last two, few years, we found this two-tone bugle where actually that low sounds almost like a train horn sound tends to carry all the way down that canyon, and, and it does a good job. There he is. He's, he's already trimming his bugle. Preparation is key here, too. Also having a first aid kit. And a this, call, call I just grabbed this off the shelf. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so locate bugle, Trevor. You see, there's not a lot of emotion. It's just getting that sound out, that low note to carry down. Um, you know, and it, it tends to, and especially when you're in the canyon country, you'll hear, you won't hear that high note echo, but you'll hear that low note rumble through. Um, and, and so a lot of times when we come up on a locate deal, start with a cow call, start with a soft bugle, you might have a bull that's 200 yards away. You don't want to just blow out and, um, and go that way. So go through the whole deal. And a lip ball, a lot of times, we'll, if you, you give a two-tone bugle, no response, go into a lip ball. So a lot of that is just when you put your lips together really, really tight, purse your lips, I think they call it anyway, the air that you blow through the bugle is going to make your lips vibrate and it just makes that lip ball sound. Um, and that comes back to like blowing enough air through the bugle, not trying to really, really concentrate on trying to be super quiet and, and, and really precise, more or less, blowing enough air to where you can make those sounds too. And when you're, you're doing a locate bugle, we kind of go through a sequence. It seems like almost every bull like, has a certain language that they'll respond to. So it's crazy. Like You'll go through the sequence, and then all of a sudden you'll do the lip ball. Or you'll just chuckle, and then he fires off. And then you can do some other ones, nothing. But then when you go back to the chuckle, he fires off again. It just seems like... Once you find uh, that trigger, then you basically stick with that. And that's why we go through each one during a location. So we'll do the two-tone, that low note that carries forever. And then we'll just kind of go through the fluty one. And then we'll 
try the lip ball, and then finally the, the chuckle. And then if you don't have anything there, then you might as well go home. Yeah. I, I look at it also like an analogy as far as if we're communicating to one another. If I start off by saying, hey, come over here, then I, all of a sudden I say, hey, come over here. And the last one, I'm screaming at you. I'm just trying to get that, that response. So um, you're just kind of building in tempo. Yep. Next up's chuckle, right? This is, I think, separates the elk callers that sound like a bull from the guys that can get picked out. That, that's Doug Flutie over there. And uh, I think this is the hardest thing to get, you know, really drive in on the practice. I think a lot of people can rip a bugle, but when you start hearing chuckles, it's really easy to pick up who's an elk and who's, uh, who's Doug Flutie. And I think the biggest thing is cadence on that and letting a lot of people start letting air out through a chuckle and they decrease their air going through. There's no, um, if, you're, if you're chuckling right, you're going to have that air exchange in and out, in and out, in and out. And in theory, you could sit there and chuckle for 15 seconds straight and not run out of air. So I think that's uh, one thing on the chuckle that we've learned over the time that's uh, definitely helped us improve. Trevor, you want to? You're better at the chuckle than me, bud. And you can mess with that cadence. Uh, start with kind of a natural, slow cadence like that. And as that bull's working in and getting fired up, then you can ramp it up and hit the high note through the, the chuckle. <laughs> And two, just because, like, on this list, I mean, you've got all the uh, unchecked boxes. I mean, it, it doesn't mean that you can't call an elk in. I mean, if you can just bugle, if you can just do some sort of elk sounds, you could still call an elk in. You don't have to, you don't have, to have everything in your arsenal in order to call an elk, you know. We've always said a that lot without it. Uh, you can screw a cow call up, and they will leave um, – but a bugle, you can screw up nine, ten different ways and still works. Absolutely. And then the one sound that we've kind of picked up over the years, it's like when you hear a bark, you think game's over, right? Well, I would say that with a cow, if she barks, most likely game is over. But a lot of times in a bull sequence and a bull's coming in, it's not game over. They have come far enough to say, I, I should see you right now. Where are you at? And so... He's going to bark. And, um, and we've used this um, a couple times where we bark. If he barks, I'm going to bark scream back, back at him. And it's like, no, I'm right over here. Get over here. Um, it, it's kind of like if you're in a fight, who's going to throw the first punch? They're, they're, they're saying, hey, show yourself. Come to me. Let's make this happen. And if you can challenge them back with a bark, you're saying, no, no, you come to me. You're, you're basically communicating on their level and also picking up that tempo. It's been a while. Bear with me here. <laughs> Bark chuckle, bark scream. So basically that's just saying, hey, I'm right here and I'm upset, but I'm probably going to stay You've seen him a hundred times, and we've heard a hundred times as far as, well, he came 80 yards, he hung up, 
and I, he stayed at that 80-yard level, and he paced back and forth, tore up four or five trees, and would not break that distance. And so sometimes that, just that like bark scream there, just that verbal communication maybe could break that that barrier for him for him to come a little bit further. So it, yeah. it's just another thing. Like uh, thinking back on uh, uh, specific instances. The birthday bowl, if you guys saw that video. Uh, this where was we, Land of the Free 2.0 in Montana with Trevor. In Montana, yeah. We got picked off by the bull um, that I killed. He spooked and went out about 120 yards, and he barked and chuckled like that. And uh, I actually barked back and chuckled and ran towards the bull, like on a, almost a dead sprint, and cut like 50, 60 yards. He couldn't see me, but I knew I was like close. And then we played a little cat and mouse with a bark chuckling. And then finally he gave up first and stepped out and wanted to see what it was. And then it happened. So it's just sometimes the gig can be up and that bark, that bark can mean that you have a a little bit of hope left and you got to be really aggressive. Um, and you can make it happen sometimes. And I think the biggest thing, like in the bugles, you can see the intensity level and emotion. And that's, you know, a locate bugle is just, hey, I'm over here. And, you know, as you step down that lip ball, chuckle, challenge bugle, bark, scream, the intensity level picks up, the emotion level picks up. And that all plays into the calling and how we interact with the bull. So um, next up, exorcist external call. This is another one that I think we don't rely on as much as we probably should, but when it works, it works phenomenal. Case in point, in Steve's bowl this year. Um, and I think the one thing, we use it, it's a good locator because the volume side of it. And then when those bulls early season are staging up, they're out searching for cows and they hear that estrus sound, they can fire off of that. So, Steve, you want to give a rundown on that? And this is a call that um, we'll start out with, like in a sequence usually, and sometimes we'll put it into a bugle tube and, um, and go that route just for a long distance, just to try to really, really project it out there. And um, this kind of, we, we always talk about like a dance, right? Every single call-in is like a dance, and, and we'll usually start out with some kind of cow calls. And if we can get a response like Steve's bull this year, that with a cow call, sometimes you should only stick with that. Don't try to bring in a bugle and try to challenge him and try to, maybe he wants, maybe he's lovesick and wants to come get that cow, you know. So start off kind of soft and with the cow calls and stuff like like that nature and some asterisk calls and then wait, you know, a couple minutes and then go to the next sequence of a little more aggressive cow calling and then wait and then bugle and then wait and then chuckle. And so we'll have this whole sequence and everybody, I think all of us do it just a little bit different. And sometimes like Trevor was saying, they want to hear that certain thing that really annoys them enough to respond to you. And it may be just a cow call like on Steve's bull and, and, you didn't ever bugle once, did you? We, we didn't bugle once after locating him. And once he started responding to the cow and calf call, and we never never bugled again. And to, sh- and to show how effective, I mean, that bull was shot with an arrow in a lethal shot. And you turned it back around, and it came back in a second time after that. So, I mean, 
it, it to, just to show you know the versatility of all the calls. Yeah. Next, next up on the next slide, please. It's Cat Road Shuffle. It's like we made this term up. <laughs> <laughs> So for us, um, we try to cover ground, cover as much ground as possible, efficiently as possible. Um, where we're hunting, whether it's going to be in a wilderness zone, hunting Rockies, hunting the coast on mountain bikes, we're going to use whatever tool is going to be effective as efficiently as possible. Um, so we will search out for ridge systems, covering the ground where you can call into, move on, call into, move on. Um, and we kind of talked about this earlier of the, the volume is key for bulls to respond, especially hunting the Oregon coast. It's thick. Um, it's a lot of broken terrain. It's not big drainages, but it's a lot of broken up micro terrain. And um, so volume's key there. We talk about the high note bugle versus the two-tone. Um, that, that's one that's over the years, it seems like the two-tone has the, been the one. Been an evolution. Speed. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because with the increased hunting pressure, it's a different sound or if it's more realistic, that lower note, um, or if it carries farther and they can hear it better. But something about that thing has been really effective. Yeah. Also, like dissecting a train, you guys use Onyx here? Key. Basically getting a good game plan, knowing when you're coming into an area, what that terrain's looking like, what kind of roads are, if there's cat, an old cat road that's going to go in. And we look for elevation. So we're not, if we're going to go into an area, say we're going, um, you know, on the Rockies on the west side or on the east side, and you're going up a drainage, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to hang a right and go climb up and get mid-mountain. We don't want to walk up the bottom of that drainage. Um, a lot of times, just based on calling from the bottom, if a bull's up on the mountain, you aren't going to hear him. You're also playing the wind. For sure. So if, when you're up on top, if, as long as the wind's coming up with the thermals, you're in the right position if he bugles to where you can actually make a play instead of having to circle back around. So super important to stay in the right place for when a response does occur, you actually can make a play on it. Where, where are we at? Terrain. <laughs> we're in, we're in uh, terrain? just north of Portland. Another thing on terrain I'll, I'll touch on is depending on the location you're hunting and like the density of the veg, um, you know, a bugle is going to go a long ways in open terrain. But if we're on the coast, there's times where literally a bugle might only go a few hundred yards. Yeah. And you'll spend a lot of time bugling because it's actually a good, a good thing to try too with a hunting partner. Go two, three hundred yards down the road, have them bugle. It's amazing. Sometimes you won't even hear it. So it's, it's really important in that, those thick vegetation areas to, to bugle a lot. What I was getting at was, um, before I was rudely interrupted, um, <laughs> as far as we talk a lot about getting on their level, I think you've heard us say. Um, and then and the one thing about that, Cody talked about the mid-mountain thing. So coming up from, instead of going up the bottom, going up mid-mountain, say you get a bull above you, and I'm sure a lot of you have had this happen, it comes down so far, and it has a very, very good vantage point of looking down. So if we can get a bull to respond way above us or of something of that nature, we always talk about getting on their level. So what that means is just like getting wind right and getting up to the elevation that they're at. 
It's so much easier. An elk is way more apt to come in side hill or over a ridge, ridge top rather than coming straight from the bottom up or because he feels vulnerable or straight from the top down because he can't see what he should be seeing. So that's what we, that's what we mean by getting on their level. You guys, uh, are you guys targeting uh, Roosevelt's? Rocky Mountain bulls? A little bit of both? Okay, about 50-50. Yeah, and so that, that's really going to dictate boot miles versus road miles. You know, on the west side, you're going to a lot of opportunity to jump on a mountain bike, right? And we look at it as, like, how efficient can we be to cover the most ground? So if we're on the west side, most likely we're going to, even if it's open to drive in, we'll park the truck, get on the mountain bikes, and cover the ground. And that's where we, we call often. Um, we kind of talk about breaking down that terrain. If you're coming up on a finger ridge and you've got a draw here on your right, we'll call in the draw, halfway through the finger ridge on the point to the right come around the point again and sometimes within a 200 yard area on a road we'll stop and call five or six different locations and all of a sudden you're calling over here on the left that sound bounces off the canyon over there and a bull bugles down here on our right um, and it just really kind of break everything down as much as you can before you move on and cross that spot off Time of day. Time of day. That's a good one. That's a, that's, if you've watched anything that we've done, you know that we try to concentrate on shooting most of our elk if that's, you know, the scenario plays out kind of in the middle of the day. We call it midday madness. So we are looking to locate the elk in the morning. And elk, they have a feeding pattern. They feed at night. After a while um, of daylight, they're headed to their bedding area. So, and we chase well, chase them or keep in touch with them. How about that? As far as like listening to f distant bugles and just keeping the wind so they don't smell you. If you can call a bull in at any time and they're mingling around, do it, definitely. But we've noticed that it's more effective for us to try to hunt that bull one-on-one -on -one when, when his cows are bedded. He's going to feel a lot more comfortable with his cows bedded down. And so we'll just keep following that bull and keep tabs on him, you know, if he's bugling, if he keeps bugling. And Try to keep him bugling. Don't, don't pressure him, but that's the thing about kind of Rocky Mountain elk a lot too is they'll bugle a lot. So you can sometimes not even have to bugle and actually, you know, shadow the herd to where they're going, to where they end up, to where they're going to bed. And then that's when we try to call them, to call them in. It's in the middle of the day most of the time. To Trent's point, I'm, how, we've been a part of killing quite a few bulls. Um, 70, I don't know, five, I don't know, uh, quite a few bulls, maybe more. How many bulls have we killed in the first hour after daylight? Maybe four or five. I, don't I would say less than half a dozen. Yeah. yeah. Between like three? Yeah. So um, it's just more effective to locate them, figure out where, not where they're at, but where they're wanting to be in the next three hours and then make your plan. Yeah, and then two, right, is like you're chasing a bull, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, that wind's starting to turn, starting to change, and you could be in a bad position and blow things up. Like the hardest part of elk hunting is finding the elk. Once you find them, killing them's the easy part. I mean, I think 
would you guys agree to spend more time? Uh, Roosevelt's. I, not I don't know rocky. if easy. <laughs> I don't know if easy is the word. Easy. I think. I think after finding them, if the wind is good, then it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. 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 And but, that kind of plays in. So weather, right? What are we searching for? A lot of people say, "Oh man, we got a rain front coming in. It's getting cold. Bulls are going to be screaming." That to us is like, we don't want the that. worst. Yeah, we 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 like. A high of 70, even in the 80s, um, you know, midday. Because you know where those elk are going to be. You know they're going to be in those north face timbers. They're going to be in the draws. Um, and it's consistent. Consistent you, wind. Exactly. Yep. And so when you get those storm fronts come in, you have wind all over the place. makes it very challenging. And in the high wind, it's very difficult to hear bugles. So um, we look for pretty consistent sunny weather in September. Next slide, please. Go sit down. No, no. Here we go. So what you saw there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll lead into this. So you get a response. Now what? Right? Success. High fives. You get a bull bugle. Who heard a bull bugle during archery season last year? It's awesome. Um, so the first thing, right? Pull out our phone, grab on Onyx, and mark a waypoint where we think that bull's at. Like, that is key because so many times it's like we hear a bull. It's like, oh, we're going to go after it. And then we're like, where was that bugle at? And we all kind of have a – and so we'll stop and really pinpoint that. It's like when we heard a bull bugle, we do the – who's you know, and we end up one's pointing left, one's pointing right, one was black behind us. And it's like, all right, let's spread out. Instead of all standing here like this, we'll get 30, 40 yards apart go through that location, and hopefully pinpoint where that elk is. And when he says pinpoint, we're talking, we zoom in on X, and we're looking very, very specifically at, on that map, on this bench that's like maybe 150, 200 yards. He's probably right there, or he's just off this slope. We're really, really careful about the exact spot that he's at. Any questions at this point, or should we just... Keep moving on. They see me rolling. Perfect. What's that? Yeah. Well, so the rain, yeah, that's a great question, actually. So with what we do as far as the filming aspect of everything, um, if it's a heavy rain, we just, the damage to the cameras and everything is tough. So we have to really kind of be careful with that, with trying to do a plastic bag or something over that. There's just not a really great situation there. And on a first rain, like we, in our, in our findings, it's just like they, they shut down. They have that period where it's been nice this months and months before. And so that September kind of, it's that first weather spell. So a lot of times they'll shut down. We'll still go out. We're going to still try, but we just don't have much success. We're also going to change our tactics. We're not going to be uh, hiking through the woods calling for elk. We're probably going to be in our rigs trying to cover ground. Because if you see an elk in the rain, spot and stalk's actually a really good game. And so we'll just change our tactics if, if we have the opportunity. I have one question for the crowd. Who here has been fooled by another hunter on a bugle? Okay. So we take for granted. We're, we're fortunate to hear a lot of bugles every season. And we're pretty good at figuring out who's, who Doug Flutie is and who's a real bull. But I want to touch on, like, the end of that bugle is the telltale sign. 
So if you're if you're finding yourself like, gosh, I can't tell if that was a real bull or maybe it was a young bull. If he's bugling multiple times, really key in on the on the tail end of that bugle because the finish is the hardest part for us to replicate. Whereas a real bull is gonna nail it every time. So I just want to touch on that because I've also when I, when I started off, I also if up you a lot. hear those bugles followed by cow calls, yeah. it's very very uncommon to hear a bull bugle and then a bunch of cows just firing off. Gen- and generally too, you'll hear that meow 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 meow. Yeah. And, Telltale sign. That's when you there. probably should just hike the other way. <laughs> um, so assess the situation, right? Yep. Oh, that's a good question. Wyoming. Yeah. Wyoming. <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of Arizona. Uh, Arizona. Uh, Realistic state to hunt in? Wyoming. Uh, <laughs> New Mexico. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a good one, too. Wherever we draw a tag. Yeah, absolutely. pretty much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, assess the situation, right? Time of day. What are the thermals doing? Is that elk bedded or is it feeding or is it traveling to bed? Um, that's going to be the biggest telltale sign of like what the next move is. Um, and also in the area, is there a bunch of people around? Did someone else hear that bull? Or are you all by yourself? You didn't see a rig anywhere on the drive in in the morning? All that's going to play into how things are going to go down next. And we talk about coming like a wrecking ball or doing the slow play. You want to talk about bedded bugles? Because that's – I remember one bull in particular this season, Cody and I and Noah were working it on, and he was, he was bugling in his bed, and it sounded like he was a long ways off. But you could just tell by the way he was bugling, he was, he was laying down. It was just real quiet, faint bugles. And Cody had stopped me because I, went, I was going in there just charging in, and he was, I think he's bedded. So – Pay attention to the time of day and also like the type of bugle because you can blow them out pretty quick. Good point. Yeah, you know, we got caught with in Mount Emily. Shh. Damn it! Shh. Where's that? Some <laughs> unit in there Oregon we that we had a draw tag. <laughs> uh, no, we we actually Trevor and I moved on a bull that we heard that we it sounded farther away. And we kept moving in, and then it sounded like, did he come closer? Nope, he moved off. And we put cat and mouse. Cody's like, I think he's like 300 yards. The last bugle (laughs) from where I was standing and Trevor and I moved, the bull was 60 yards, and he sounded 300 yards away. 60 yards. At 25 yards, he stood up and blew out of his bed and gone forever. question Question over here. We'll definitely cover this in some of this. But the question was, how do you assess when to push? I just, I don't think everybody heard it. Yeah. When to push on them and then when to try to call them to you? Go ahead. It dictates on terrain, right? If, if it's open and you're going to get busted, you think that that bull can see you, it's like, all right, I'm going to either let things calm down and let him move off or, I mean, if uh, it's thick, You've got cover. You can push in. It's really going to dictate on how open that terrain is. And that, and that comes like to the next point as far as um, taking the bull's temperature. We kind of touched on this a little bit ago. But um, if he's bugling on his own, right, if there's a bull out there bugling on his own and he's just torching off and torching off, we're not just going to just start bugling at him. I think a lot of people, the gratification of getting a bull to bugle, and I'm, 
guilty as charged, is awesome. And so if you can stand on a landing and get a bull to keep on bugling, even though you're not even moving on him or something, it's cool. It's neat to hear, right? And so, but sometimes the best way is to get close to that, close to that elk as you can without, with the wind ride, of course, and everything, before you notice, announce your presence, right? And, and a lot of that is like taking the temperature. Is he bugling? Is he raking trees? Is he fired up? Is he tending a cow? Do you hear him running cows in a circle to where there's a hot cow around to where I need to get in there really fast and try to be another bull real quick? Or do I need to take my time? Is he just leisurely moving and moving with the cows? A lot of different things that, um, that elk do on a regular that it's like you can either be the hero or the zero by going too fast or not going at all, you know? The best analogy I can use, and I always try to relate to us as humans, that's for me the best way to remember it, is if someone's at the end of my, my street yelling at me, and I'm in bed with my you know wife or kids, we're in the house hanging out, I'm not too worried about that guy a half mile down the road. But if he's in my house, just down just down the stairs from my bedroom, all of a sudden it's a threat. So it's, it's just how close can you get, take that bull's temperature until something happens. Yeah, and if you get in that that bull's house he has two choices right he's either gonna run away push away from you which he does probably 90 percent of the time or he may come towards you for a fight and he has to confront you what we found is is just because a bull pushes away it doesn't mean that we stop and and be like wow that was a good morning hunt guys let's go back and get some lunch We'll give that bull some time to push off or we'll stay right on his heels the best we can because we know that at some point those cows and himself, they want to go to bed. And if you push that bull and fluster him enough, he's probably going to push away again and he's going to push away again. And then there's going to be a point to where he's not going to want to push away anymore because it's time to go to bed. It's time to chill out. And that is where we often will get our opportunity. Um, it's just by literally just pestering them so much that they, are con- they have to confront you. Yeah. Next slide, please. <clears throat> so this is where we always talk about uh, make a plan, make a decision. A lot of people, a lot of times... They hear a bugle and they react without even thinking through what's, what's the next step. Or they freeze and they're scared to make a mistake. I think we've all been there. We've all made that. Um, first off, what's the wind doing? Thermals, reading the terrain. Um, a lot of times, too, it's like, where's the sun at? Where's the shade at? You can, you can know what the wind's going to be doing based on what that sun is doing. If it's on an open face it's mid-morning, you know that that wind's already going up. Um, or if you're down in the bottom in a, in a creek drainage, that wind's coming down. So you, you really kind of got to read what's, wh- where it's going. Um, and then also don't worry so much about the wind, where it, what it's doing right where you're at. If that bull's 400 yards away and the wind's kind of going in its direction, a lot of people are scared to make that move. But if you know that that bull's up on that face and the wind's blowing up, and you can get uh, with the wind even kind of sketchy. You know that you know what that wind's doing, where that elk is. Push the boundary there. Um, don't be afraid. 
I, I think too, uh, while you're hunting, even before the before you get a bugle, before you even are on elk, before you smell them, before anything, as you're hunting along, test the wind. Cons constantly test the wind. Like we'll notice different parts of where we're hunting, whether we're high up in the mountains, whether we're down low in these draws and stuff. Kind of keep testing the wind, so you kind of have a mental idea of okay, I was on that face yesterday and that wind was doing this at this hour. And because everywhere is different, everywhere seems to be totally different. It's, and it's weather dependent, it's, um, it's time of day dependent, you know, when those thermals are gonna change. And Cody mentioned the sun, you know, as far as the sun heats, it, it pulls. It's gonna pull that wind to heat that, to heat that earth up. So as you go about hunting, don't just wait till you get a bugle going and just be like, oh man, where's the wind at? get an idea for the terrain that you're hunting and all day long, just, I mean, it's, it's not, it doesn't cost anything to check the wind and it just makes you kind of, you know, better, more attuned to what's going on. I think one of the things that uh, a lot of people make a mistake at is you go the whole season, at least Roosevelt hunting and the elk don't bugle all the time. If you're a Roosevelt elk, right? You finally get your bull to bugle. You hear your first bull bugle for the year and everyone thinks like, man, I don't want to screw this up. And so a lot of people will freeze in the moment. And if that bull's 100, 150 yards away, instead of taking action and checking the wind and getting in position quickly, um, if you freeze in this country, the wind changes so much. It doesn't ever stay constant, like forever. And by freezing up, it can cost you getting winded. But if you can make a quick decision by, uh, you know, regulating like what these thermals are going to do in that moment, really quickly get in position, uh, you can have success before that wind switches on you. Quick show of hands. How many people are solo hunters? Don't have a hunting partner. It's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, tough, tough, isn't it? It's... A little bit harder when you watch a bunch of people that have a huge tribe calling for, I mean, it's tougher, isn't it? Is it not? I it's mean, way tougher. Yeah. As far as, as far as um, having that guy back there to steer that elk towards that shooter and to get away with so much movement with raking and stuff is so much, so much nicer. But that's not to be said that it can't be done. Go ahead. Wildfires. Good question. Great question. Wildfires can change things fast. Um, we definitely have had great success targeting burns, even the year after a fire, two years after a fire. Um, and then we've also had areas shut down due to fire during season. Uh, in case in this point, Steve and I had tags, the whole forest was shut down. All the We couldn't scout. We couldn't even uh, go into that unit. So it made a, a pretty big challenge to overcome and it seems like in the last three, four years, wildfires in the West everywhere has been pretty rampant. So just kind of pivot from, you know, make, have a plan A, B, C, and you might end up at E. So In the smoke, hunting in the smoke, you said? Yeah, we, we haven't really had we'll, – we'll bounce. We'll try to go to opposite locations. Because most of the time we're on private timberlands a lot of times that's, you know, allows the entry and they're going to shut it all down anyway. So we won't, we can't really, we can't really get in on that. But that being said, like we will target like on Onyx, they have a burn layer 
that shows fires, we're going to target the edges of those burns heavily, heavily. The one thing I'll say, I've hunted around fire quite a bit. Um, it does seem to shut them down. So myself, I'm, try I'm trying to find a place that the smoke isn't as bad, but... Yeah, yeah, it was tough. That was when we were actually hoping for rain in September and kind of get everything chilled down. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think we talk about this. You, um, make a move, trust your gut, and, and don't be afraid of making a mistake because if you make a mistake, you're going to learn from it, move on, go find another one. Next slide, please. Set up. This makes or breaks things. So um, as where's this bull approaching, right? You hear a bull bugling, you got a caller behind you. And, and one thing real quick we'll talk about is communication, right? It's either visual from the sh uh, caller to the shooter, or if that's not the case, then you're gonna communicate via calls. So first thing we always do is three quick cow calls made from the shooter is come here or I'm moving up. And so that, that dictates the shooter if he can't see, but you. Just a meow, meow, meow. Come up, look. That's you're, you're signed to. Not for us. So. Okay. <laughs> um, and and so basically that communication. And then when a caller or a shooter gets into position, is just turning around one soft, quiet, quiet as you can cow call to communicate to the caller. It's go time. Go ahead and and, and start it. When I'm getting into a position, if I'm a shooter, if I'm getting into a spot that I'm, I want to set up and this is, this is it, I'm looking for a few different things. I'm looking for shooting lanes, of course, or where I think that bull is going to appear, but also when he does show himself, has he now spotted where the collar is? Because when that bull is approaching the entire time, he's, he's looking for visual confirmation. So we're looking for areas that we can set up to where that collar isn't necessarily exposed or at least isn't going to see through where the collar's making the sound. Maybe he's back in some thick brush where he can rake and move and that you know it basically covers where he's calling from if we're in a big open like pine flat um and he can see 300 yards behind us that's probably one of the worst spots we could set up sometimes you got to play the cards you're dealt but i'm i'm trying to position myself as a shooter in a position where when he shows up a i have a shot and b he's not gonna you know freeze hang up and then turn and go and then also i'm, I'm clearing the area around me and making sure that i can move around comfortably without making a bunch of noise Basically, where we can barely see. Make sure everybody can hear the question. Oh, the question was, uh, in Roosevelt Country, how far away do we set up from collar to shooter? And basically, the answer to that is it's a lot of, a lot of brush around in the Roosevelt Elk Woods. Uh, we set up to where we can just see the shooter as the collar. So if I'm the collar, um, I'm going to be looking for a stick to for my raking stick. I'm going to look for some limbs around that I can readily break um, and uh, make a bunch of noise. You want to be in a spot that's very noisy. Uh, and then I want to have a visual uh, from about here to that wall over there. And uh, you want to be to where you can see the shooter, but you don't want it to where when you're making that big ruckus, and raking and everything, you don't want when the bull shows up to the shooter, the bull can see you. 
So that's the magics. Not get picked. Don't don't let you you get picked off so the shooter doesn't get a chance. I'll also add like there's a lot of times where our setups are pretty fluid to where if, if there is some visual confirmation, if I'm watching the shooter move, my job as the caller is to steer. I'm trying to steer that bull to keep the wind good and also keep that, that bull moving in the right direction. But it's very often, or very seldomly are we like, I'm staying here, shooter's up there, he's not moving. We're, we're, we're constantly kind of- Yeah, that never happens. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, and, and two, on the setup shooting lanes, right? It's like, don't sh- set up and stop where you can't shoot. Like, sometimes you're gonna have to push the limits and like, I'm going to get busted or I'm going to call this bull in and get busted anyways and not get a shot. So, you know, don't be afraid to kind of push. Like if you get caught in some thick stuff, that bull's charging down the hill, take the risk, take that five steps, 10 steps, whatever it might be to where all of a sudden you open your opportunity up to where you can actually shoot that bull. Ideally, right. you're going to have someone with the shooter, and right here. The caller's back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and if you and if you don't don't feel like you have to drop back to call that bull and to kill it. Well, what we've done in the past is you try being right by their side, try to get them in, try to get them in. If they won't come in and commit then we step back and just be like, okay, we tried the other way, now we have to try it this way. Two, calling a bull in is a very emotional or uh, high stress time, right? So what, what I'll do a lot of times is when it's a shooter caller scenario and I'm the shooter, I'll go to my spot, first I'll pick a spot and then I will go through a whole sequence and I'll do this actually in practice as well at the range at the house before. I'll get my stance first and I'll go through shooting lanes, okay? I can shoot here, 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 this is 40, this is whatever, okay? So I've got those things checked off in my head, and then I'll clip onto my release, and then I will actually get my hand grip on my bow. So all those things are all done. Everything's done, so it's a, it's a fluent motion of when that bull comes in, you've got the checklist already almost all checked off, but well, how far is he, and picking a spot on the animal. And so that's a, that's a good key for people, like it says, a, you know, Clearing your feet out, just, I mean, clear a good section so you can pivot wherever you need to, just to get a clear shot off and check all those boxes before the ultimate box has to be checked. I think this is actually, Trent, that is the most important thing, I think, to kill an elk. Out of, out of everything tonight, if you think about, like, the one thing is most of the time, everything goes up all the way great and then the shot happens and that's where people make their mistakes shot sequence is big i we all have something we do i take a deep breath in through my nose hold it for three seconds let it out i close my eyes physically there could be a bull coming in 100 yards out i'm closing my eyes i take big deep breath through my nose let it out and i do that several times i check my peep i get my feet right um just all these things to just calm yourself down, lower your heart rate, so that all the effort that you guys put in is not wasted by uh, by the shot sequence being rushed or or 
more anxiety. And inexperienced or not, have the confidence, like, I'm going to kill this bull. Not, yeah. I hope screw I get this a shot. Up. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, you've you spent the time at the range. You know when you draw your bow back, you can hit that dot. Like, it's, it's just a live target, but you can do it. So have that confidence. I think we had a question right over here. So question is, how long do you have a sequence? For us, we generally don't like have a dry sequence where we're going to stop and just sit there for 45 minutes and call through a sequence. When we're located and we're on a bull, it's really situational dependent on what's, what's going to happen and how it's... Are you asking about like once you've set up? Okay, so... Yeah, and you're going to have those moments where you don't get that opportunity. Um, I think the biggest thing is your breaths. I, I think if you, you slow your breathing rate, you'll slow your heart rate um, and help from shaking. Yeah, two things I want Adrenaline. to add real quick because the setup is so critical. Um, I get really jacked. I'm pretty <laughs> amped up. So I'm sitting there and I am like, I'm range finding. Literally every single thing I can think of where they might come across. And using your range finder to really get to where when he comes across at 38 yards, you're not sitting there going, oh, he's at, he's at 38 yards. You should know that. And then the other one is, I don't know how many times I've thought, okay, there's three awesome lanes this bull's going to come through. And he comes from my left. I'm expecting to come from his right, the right through a bunch of brush, they'll come from some of the weirdest locations yeah. to try and surprise you. Slide is uh, calling the bull into range, right? So this is one that there's so many different variables. Everyone asks, like, what's the secret? What's the move? There is no right answer, no wrong answer. It just kind of depends on what you've had for experience from the past and what you've learned and, and using that. Um, in Steve's bull's case, that bull re responded to a cow call. Didn't respond to a bugle. You guys stuck to the cow call. He, he bugled a couple times early in the morning, but we also had that the background of you guys have been there for almost a week, over a week, and they hadn't been really responding. I mean, they've been bugling back to your bugles, but they hadn't been coming into it. Okay, question. Both. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll mix it up. Basically, we're trying to sound like a, a small group of elk. So cows talking with calves, calves responding. We're just trying to make it sound realistic. But um, the bulls had not been kind of like coming in aggressively to, to bugling. So when that bull started responding to the cow call that morning, he spawned almost every time. It was like, well, let's just stick with this and, and, and ride it out and see what happens. And fortunately, it worked out. And a lot of times, too, it's like if, if he's sticking to a, a bugle and he's responding, we use that copycat technique. If he's bugling and chuckling, we're going to bugle and chuckle. If he's just lip balling, we're going to just lip ball. If he's just chuckling, you know, kind of go down that route. And I think there's, there's kind of two triggers of a bull coming in. It's either anger or it's lust. Those are the two. It's either I'm here to fight or I'm here to breed. And... Um, and that's kind of that, that if he's responding to a bugle, it's playing on that emotion that you're picking a fight at the bar, right? You're going to, if a, if a cow answers to your bugle, you're going to start answering to that cow and starting to talk to that cow where he's like, no, that, you don't do that. You don't talk to my lady, you know, and, and start that emotion. 
But if he's by himself, uh, generally speaking, a bull by himself is the one that's going to respond to the cow call. A little little backstory on that setup as well. I think, Trevor, you and Cody had scouted that night. Was that the night before? Yeah, we went out the night before, yep. There the were night. at least three bulls in that drainage. We had heard lots of different you know bulls bugling. So we knew – it sounded to us – I mean, this is just what we're assuming. There's bulls cutting up cows, trying to you know separate a herd in that bottom. And when he started coming up to us, um, all of a sudden it was like – just a light switch. He started coming up. We went and set up pretty fast. Yeah. Big one that we haven't really talked about is raking a lot. And in the, in the Roosevelt woods, we do a lot, a lot of raking, um, sound noise, stepping on brush, popping limbs, pulling limbs off trees. Um, anything to do to sound like elk. Elk is a giant. They're, they're giant. They're huge animals and they want to be fooled a hundred percent. So the calls are very important to sound as natural as you can, but also what comes with the calls is the, just the, the, the mass of the animals, you know? So always, always when we're calling, we're breaking limbs. We're, we're trying to fool those senses just a little bit more. Yeah, I, I touched, touched briefly on it, but like it's trying to you're you're trying to steer as the as the caller. You're trying to steer where that elk's gonna arrive, where you know, show himself. Um, you can kind of see it in the video, but the wind was a left to right, and I actually ended up walking upwind. Would have been yeah, it was upwind yeah. away from Steve the entire time. Not not fast, but I just want to sound like a herd of elk feeding and breaking brush the whole way. And so he ended up coming the, the right direction. If he would have come up below us, he would have smelled us. Yep, and then it's one of those things. It's the fine line of raising the curiosity up to the point and then shutting up and letting that curiosity build to the point. And then he's, because a lot of times if you keep calling, keep calling, he's going to pinpoint that sound and he wants to see an elk standing at that sound. So shut it off at that point and let that curiosity kill him. And we found this going out of state. Um, Roosevelt's will come in screaming a lot all the way to your face. A lot of times the Rocky Mountain bulls would come in to that 100 yards bugling and then they would shut up and they would move in silent uh, to try to pick you off without giving up their own uh, spot. So you always got to kind of keep your head on a swivel for that when they get real close. They might be closer than you think. And then next one up, uh, next slide is shooting the bull. Critical point, right? This is built. 99% of the way up to the point. When to draw your bow? Early. Not too early. <laughs> the perfect time. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've been there, and uh, I've drawn too early. I've drawn too late. Um, it, it's definitely somewhat of an art on when to draw, but I think a lot of times people don't plan or think through how this thing's going to happen. It's all of a sudden they see the bowl, and they're like, oh, I'm going to draw my bow. Well, if you heard branches breaking before you saw that bull, draw your bull, point it in the direction that that bull's coming in and know, okay, I can't shoot it here, it's thick. I know he's over here to the right, but I'm going to point the bow right here where he comes into that shooting lane and you're going to be prepared. Um, kind of think through those processes as, as you're set up. Also, practice drawing your bow in different situations. Don't, don't always you know, draw your bow the same way as when you're practicing at home. I mean, practice the way you're going to draw to be kind of sneaky or do it really fast, um, they don't always give you the best, you know, lead up time. And always, always, always have a call in your mouth as a shooter, a diaphragm call. Even if you're not good at it, but if you can make an, uh, uh, as we call it, the cougar call, Trent's notorious. Done it. Meow. 
the worst case, you do the meow. Um, but have a call in your mouth. So when that bull's coming in, call a step and a half before he's perfect in this lane because he's going to carry momentum. You're going to call. He's going to take a step and a half and then stop and look. Um, be prepared to stop the ball, bull where you need to shoot him at. And then you have to decide if you're going to shoot frontal or are you going to uh, see if he spooks and you can get him stopped to shoot him quartering away. Who shot a bull frontal? Okay. Well, that's... <laughs> so, yeah, crickets. Um, <laughs> it, it's definitely one of those things. As calling a bull in a lot of times, and this is also involved in the setup. We kind of skipped over about the arc. That bull is going to be coming in direct line or downwind of where that sound's coming in from. So a lot of people are like, the bull's over there. I'm sitting here, and I'm looking, and that bull's coming in frontal. Sometimes the best setup's to drift off over here 10, 15 yards downwind on that side so you can shoot them broadside. Um, you may or may not have that opportunity. But um, angle and distance, right? We've, if you've watched our videos, you've seen a lot of us. We've shot bulls frontal. Um, some of us don't shoot a frontal shot um, by choice. Um, so we've kind of got that 20-yard rule on a frontal. If it's close, you can you know exactly the anatomy of the elk. I wouldn't encourage you as a first-time bow hunter to take a frontal shot. You don't know how everything lays in that elk, and you haven't looked at it. Don't take that shot just because you've saw it on a video on YouTube once. Calling after the shot. Uh, you'll notice on Steve's bull, both Steve and Noah started calling. I mean, immediately, right? You guys are both cal calling. I'm actually far enough away. I didn't know what happened. Um, I didn't know if he shot. I didn't know if the bull blew out. But all of a sudden, they started making a bunch of racket. And so I just picked up and kept calling. Um, and I just kept calling until they finally gave me three cow calls, which is that communication to go ahead and come back to the shooter. But I, I legitimately had no idea what happened. All I know was I heard an elk blow out, and I just kept cow calling, kept cow calling. And um, luckily, the bull, you know, it piqued his interest. He turned right back around, and Steve made another shot. And, and we kind of talk about the kill mode, right? There's bow hunters and there's killers. And you have to, at some point, know that I'm going to kill this bull and I'm going to make it happen. You don't have to force a shot, but a lot of people are going to wait for the perfect shot. It's broadside, legs forward, it's the only shot you're going to take. That, that might be great for some people, but at other points in time, it's like, this is going to be my only opportunity. I need to kill that bull right now and make that shot and have that confidence in it. So... There's a fine line riding through that, and I think the more experience you have, the more times that you're going to build that um, moment up. So well. there you guys got to see a little bit about what we've been talking about. Uh, copycat technique for calling played a big role in that one to get that bull's curiosity. You saw Cody had to hold his bow back. Um, right before the bull comes in, you heard Cody turn around and ask Trent, should we move up another 10 yards? And while they were talking about it, trying to figure it out, that bull fired off and he was too close. They couldn't move. But uh, kind of one of those things where make those quick movements. Um, and then Cody had to hold his bow back for two, over two minutes. And I think, too, it was really cool that you see that bull's reaction. The bull comes in. He bugles. He's sound checking. He's trying to pinpoint where that sound is. They, they already know from 200 yards out. I mean, we've seen it. They can be in a very, like, they got it figured out. But he comes in, he sound checks. Trevor bugles, chuckles. That bull cuts him off, bugles, chuckles, 
And then across the canyon, you hear the other bull. That bull bugles. The bull turns. He bugles, chuckles. And then Trevor bugles and chuckles again. And that's when that, that whole sequence starts over. And his movement starts again. That's when I drew my bow. And I think it was just over a couple minutes of uh, pure panic set in when he stopped to rake. And I was just about ready to let down. And then he starts walking again. I was in terror that I was not going to be able to hold my bow back for the shot. And when he started raking, Cody's bow's back. I bugle chuckle trying to get him to stop raking and turn. And he, he, he didn't rake very long at all. And it made it so you didn't have to <laughs> fall to pieces. <laughs> and, and it's one we haven't talked about, right, is... <laughs> He's referencing the year before in New Mexico when I did screw that up and had to let down and busted a bull. But um, one thing is, if a bull stops, gives you another opportunity, get an arrow in. Any angle, any distance at that point, you know you've got a, an arrow in the bull, get another arrow in him. That bull is dead on his feet, but by any means, I'm going to shoot him again and, uh, and get one in. Um, real quick, before we wrap this thing up, tracking a meat care, right? It's like, how, how long do you wait? That's the age-old question. An hour minimum. Unless you watch him go down, we, we kind of play that. We used to say a half hour, an hour minimum. You know, even if it, you felt like it's a perfect shot, give it some time, take in the moment, enjoy what's going on. Um, and then when you find that arrow or the first blood, read that. And that that situation is where your next move is. You know, it's, it, you've worked so hard to get that opportunity. You got an arrow in the bull. This is the point where some people make the mistake and they go running in. Slower is better. Yep, slower is better at that point. And that's the whole thing, too, as far as reading your arrow. There's so much. I mean, we, we, could, do, we could do hours on tracking and stuff like that. Um, we have the benefit of actually filming all our hunts. So we go back and we really, really look at that film as blurry as, as horrible as I filmed it. We, Blair Wish Project. It was rough. Sorry. But we look at that and... We, we decipher exactly where we think that arrow went in and where that exited, uh, looking at the arrow, looking at the blood trail. Like I said, we could go on for a long time. But um, anyway, slow and steady. And then we play hopscotch. Basically, there's one person who always stays at the blood, and it never leaves last blood. And then we have our little s scouts. They go out, and they slowly, hands and knees, find the next blood. That guy goes up to that spot stays there and that's how we do it every single time yep and and pull out onyx start the tracker you you know and it's really good like you get good blood for 150 200 yards and all of a sudden the blood dries up you can kind of get a really good general direction okay he's headed this way he's on this train you, you even in thick cover reprod you can get a kind of a line to start if you need to go in the grid process one thing i want to add is you know we're hunting these bulls for the most part in the rut they're incredibly tough animals, and they are absolutely jacked. I mean, they've got a ton of adrenaline going through their body. And on Steve's bull, we didn't really talk about it, but that bull bled. I mean, it looked like you had five-gallon jugs of blood just all over the place for a half a mile. By the time we got and found that bull, all my, Noah, myself, and uh, Steve were covered in blood. I mean, literally, our waist down, we were just covered in it. And he went for a half mile and finally ran out of blood and died on his feet. But they're, they're a lot tougher than we give them credit. Oh, th there's no doubt. If you guys watched the series last year, Eric had a tag in Wyoming, and his best friend Brian, he shot, Brian shot that giant 350 bull. Perfect shot, 40 yards, passed through. I would have gave that bull 15 seconds to live, and he lived for 
Yeah, hour and a half. And it's just, who knows? It was a double lung shot. Um, you know, if a guy, you could have bumped it. There were so many tracks in there, so many elk, you could have lost that bull. Just luckily, we had visual sight on it. And, uh, you know, so it's, the bull's not going to spoil in six or eight hours in September. If you, it went in doubt, back out, give it some time, let things, you know, the only time where you've got to maybe push it is weather, right? Rain, some other factors there where you, you, you might have to push that time limit. But um, meat care, right? It's the gutless method. Hands down, the best way to take care of an elk, in our opinion. Um, it's the quickest, the easiest. You know, we can break down an elk bull in about 45 minutes, get it done, taken care of. And uh, enjoy that pack out. So, Q and A, questions. Do you have any final comments, Trevor? I just want to say, guys, thank you so much for coming out tonight. It's really, really awesome that you guys are here this late. Um, we really appreciate you guys watching all of our stuff over all these years. Um, without you guys, uh, this isn't possible for us. So, thank you so much um, for supporting us all these years with watching our content and and purchasing some of our products uh, with our bugles and our calls and uh, now our, our meat bags. So um, just wanted to say thank you guys so much. Appreciate it. Got any questions before we wrap this thing up and get everyone home? Great question from up here in the front row. And the question was, what, want, what drove us to start filming our hunts and put them on YouTube? What started with DVDs in 2007, and it was basically, at that point, Outdoorsman Channel, or the Outdoor Channel and Sportsman Channel. We turned it on, and it was a whitetail on a feeder. It got shot out of a big pivot, or a tripod blind, and it was like, that is not hunting for what we experienced. And um, actually, there was two films that really did it for us. Um, uh, Joe and Jason with On Foot Films, there was two brothers that filmed themselves, put them on DVD. They went into Hell's Canyon and had a riot, and it was like, that's awesome. That's hunting. And then in the fly fishing film, our buddy Justin Crump uh, was Trout Bum's Diaries, and they, they documented this whole fly fishing adventure into South America. I was like, let's do this on our own. And so um, Trevor took out his dental school loan, bought a camera. It was a student loan. True story. <laughs> True story. <laughs> And uh, he goes, I bought a camera. He came up opening weekend, took a break off dental school, and we picked up the camera. We didn't know how to turn it on, didn't have a tape, didn't have a battery, and let's go for it. And uh, we didn't hear a bugle for 20 days. And we still haven't paid back that school loan yet. <laughs> That's an IOU. <laughs> Why did you have to bring that up, <laughs> Oh. Yeah, 2007, uh, we had all these high hopes and uh, big dreams and felt like we were getting crushed in the face. 20 days, didn't have an opportunity at a bull. Uh, the final week of elk season in 2007, on Monday evening, Cody killed uh, a dandy Roosevelt bull, and that sparked a fire in us like no other. And uh, over the course of that week, he killed one on Monday. Um, Trent killed Trent one on killed Friday. On Friday. Ty killed his Saturday. I killed mine on Sunday for the last day of season, and that was tagged out. So, yeah.
Okay, so the question is, do we call any less if we know there's other hunting pressure nearby? And uh, we get a lot more strategic uh, when you throw in, it's not just you against the animal, now it's you and someone else against the animal. And sometimes we've had it both ways where we've been working a bull and trying to be patient and someone cuts in. Um, so definitely it does change how we uh, attack a situation. If we know that there's other pressure, you have to be more aggressive. Uh, you just have to do it um, wisely. Most of the time we'll hook up with that other hunter and we'll try to call it in for them as the right thing to do. You know, it so definitely take uh, the high road and just be like, hey, jump out front and we'll, we'll try to get this bull in for you, you know, if that's the scenario. It definitely changes the ability to do the slow play, though. You have to be more aggressive. Well, thank you guys so much for coming out. It's a late night, I know. <laughs> but, uh, man, thank you guys so much for everything. With that, you guys ready? That's it. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys.